0: Today, I'm excited to talk about how men can become effective allies in the workplace. I'm having a conversation with author Ray Arada, who wrote the book, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. We're going to dive into what the difference is between healthy and unhealthy masculinity and what specific behaviors men need to pay attention to that could unintentionally hurt the relationships that they're building with women in the workplace. This episode is not only for men, though. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think it's very important that all of us, women or non-binary people, know how to coach and support and communicate with men in the workplace to create real change, change that's long overdue. This is a topic that should matter to all of us, and I know that this conversation with Ray will inspire you as well. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role? Build the confidence and competence to lead your team effectively and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization. That's the question and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders. I'm a leadership coach, a mom of three, a coffee lover, and a travel enthusiast. Stick around, because in this show, you'll learn how to think, communicate, and act to become a confident, high-performing leader people love to work with. Let's go. Welcome to this conversation with Ray Arada. Ray is an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion leader and speaker, consultant, and trainer with global clients from PwC to Verizon to Toyota to Bloomberg. He founded the Better Men Conference for the Development of Healthy Masculinity and Men as Allies and Partners to Women and Non-Binary People. He was recognized by the UN Women in 2016 as a He for She Champion for Change and received the Ron Herring 2020 Award. Ray recently published a book called Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. And this is the topic for this episode. I will link in the show notes to his book, as well as his Better Men Conference. He shared with me after the conversation that the dates will be published soon. So by the time that you listen to this, they might be up. If not, check back in a couple of weeks to see and to register. I'm thrilled to talk about men being allies to women in the workplace. In my past career, I studied finance. I worked in banking and private equity, and I'm very familiar with male-dominated environments and the masculinity that shows up in these environments. Some of that masculinity, healthy and some unhealthy. I definitely had my fair share of experiences on both sides. And the likelihood is high that you had those experiences as well, no matter your gender identification. So without further ado, let's welcome Ray to the Manager Track podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for this podcast episode. We're going to talk about showing up how men can become effective allies in the workplace. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Right, I'm really curious to hear a little bit about how you got into this field and how, how your work evolving men and become, men becoming allies in the workplace started. And in your book, with that title, Showing Up How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace, you talk about the moment when you were at the Gender Equality Challenge.
1: It
0: mm-hmm. um, Was that in San Francisco?
1: It was. It yeah. was at the, the City Hall Mayor Ed Lee who has since passed away, he had sponsored this event and it was in one of the courtrooms in San Francisco. My dad's a retired judge, so i was oh, very nice. familiar with this particular courtroom. Nice. Yeah. So
0: you're talking about the moment when, um, I guess, Eileen might have spoken as a mayor and you were sitting sort of in the back. Can you take us back to this time and what yeah. was going on through your head and sort of what clicked in that moment? Yeah,
1: so for me, I was really interested in the fact that the city that the governmental entity had made gender partnership, if you will, uh, gender equality, important enough to create a challenge. And so I wanted to go because I had been speaking to largely female dominated audiences at conferences and I wanted to see what they were doing. And so I went there and I'm sitting in the back and I'm listening to all these speakers and this little voice in my head said, But what about the men, you know, men like a challenge. You guys would call this a challenge. Who's addressing the men? And I'm sitting in the back of the room going, should I ask the question? No, no, no. Right when I got the courage to answer the question and I went to raise my hand, they said, okay, no more questions. So I'm like, (laughs) so when I left, I said to myself, you know, this whole gender equality thing is going to take forever. Somebody needs to do something. And I'm like, then another voice in my head said, well, maybe it's you. Well, why don't you reach out to a bunch of your corporate male friends and run this idea that was forming for me in the moment, which um, was to bring healthy masculinity into the leadership conversation, <laughs> maybe do an event or a conference that focuses on the engagement of men. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would include other people there. Initially, I thought maybe it'd be a conference for all men, but then I quickly realized, no, everyone needs to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I may have been the person that brought healthy masculinity into this space. And so that was the kind of the moment. And the first Better Man Conference in 2016 had like 150 people there. And it was the women that really helped me more than anybody else. The The women at Kaiser Permanente, Several of the companies. There was the, the head of DEI at Genentech, Julius Pryor, a man of color. So there was a, a mix of folks that knew this was important. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the moment. Little did I know that I would be embarking on now a six year journey, 13 conferences, my second book. And here we are.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so you bring into the conversation here this term healthy masculinity, and you talk about this in your book quite a bit about the unhealthy masculinity and the healthy masculinity. Can you explain a little bit more what the difference is and the, how to observe those?
1: Yeah, so sometimes you need to describe what something isn't mm-hmm. so that you can describe <laughs> what it is.
0: Yes, go for it.
1: And so, you know, toxic masculinity as a context. Women understand this, and more and more men are understanding this. It's the bad behavior mm-hmm. that causes impact on others. It's the sexual harassment. It's the microaggressions that are driven by man box behaviors, or put another way, those unwritten rules of what it means to be a man that men have perpetuated. And up until recently, women tolerated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They don't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. So there's a whole litany of rules. And so I don't need to explain to women so much what toxic masculinity is, but I do need to shine the light for men to understand that your language and your behavior can negatively impact others, create distrust and not exactly shine positively on a, as an ally or a leader. So, If I was to say a couple of the man box rules, like men don't show their emotions or real men make all the decisions or real men play sports or real men aren't disabled or real men are heterosexual. And I went down the list. Most guys would go, yeah, I know those ones. Mm -hmm. A lot of them at my age or younger probably reject them, but some of them are sitting there operating in the background. Yeah. So that's the toxic side of things. The healthy side of things, for me personally, and mind you, masculinity takes different shapes and means different things to different people. But at its core, if you were to pigeonhole me to say, Ray, what is the most broad version of what healthy masculinity is for all men to adapt, I would say it's conscious mind, conscious heart. Being aware and being introspective and and self-examining being aware of my privilege and my bias and my emotions. And it's also connecting to my emotions Mm -hmm. and having a conscious relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys might be wondering, what the hell do my emotions have to do with being an ally or a leader? Well, a lot. You know, if someone comes to you and says, hey, what you said or did hurt me, most men are going to go to shame. Oops, there's there's an emotion right there. And if you don't understand shame, and you put it in a box and you don't experience it, it's going to leak out. Or given the current cancel culture that we're in, <laughs> a lot of men are a- afraid to say or do the wrong thing. So they don't do anything, which means they're complicit. There's fear right there. And then what about anger? That's the only permissible emotion because it's what most men go to. And One of the things I speak about in the book is if you get interested in your anger and you really ask yourself, what's going on for me underneath the anger, you're going to find out that you're either afraid or sad or, or you're grieving a loss. So there's, there's a lot to unpack and I'm really just trying to support men and those who want to support and be supported by men, the distinction so that they can make their choice to be a, a better man. So yep. that whole notion of being a better man, that's why I came up with the title Better Man Conference because I believe inside all men is an aspiration to be better.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you talk about something here that I find really interesting and it goes beyond just sort of being an ally or the unhealthy or toxic masculinity in the workplace. But I think it's particularly important here that sometimes we do something with good intentions, right? But yeah. we, and we don't realize in the moment that We might judge ourselves based on our intentions, but everyone else around us judges us based on the impact our actions have on them. Right. And when it comes to these behaviors, we might not mean to hurt someone. We might think, you know, socially acceptable, or we might even holding back because we don't know what to say. And the intention is to not add fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. We actually, the impact of us not speaking up or of us saying something that's inappropriate The impact on others, a lot of times people seem unaware of that and not even showing any curiosity of interest in figuring out how are my behaviors impacting others.
1: So inherent in that comes a responsibility. And if you ask any woman or marginalized person, the burden and the, the weight that they already are enduring to conform or be at the affect of these microaggressions, it's not fair to put the burden of them explaining the impact of another person's words or actions. What I'm seeking to do is to get men to self-select on their journey of becoming an ally, to get interested in advance how your language or your behavior is impacting other people, okay? So just, I need to say that on on the front end of things. That doesn't always happen, but when I work with companies who want to put men through a pilot training, they've selected these men who who want to be better. So we, we can get that handled. Now, what you're speaking about in terms of intent versus impact, one of the things I teach is about how important it is for me as an ally or me as a leader to take responsibility for what I said or did or what I didn't say or didn't do Mm -hmm. and to be human in that moment. And what I mean by that is if it comes to my attention that I said or did something that hurt somebody else, I could defend I call it listening from the head, invalidate, make wrong, tell you that I didn't mean it. And in that instance, if I'm doing that, I'm centering myself and not acknowledging your experience. Mm-hmm. So if you ask anybody, what's the result of that? They'll tell you they're going to go even more distance from you. They're going to trust you even less. And you're just not getting it. And when I share that distinction with a lot of folk it gives them pause Mm -hmm. and the the opportunity is rather than listen from the head to listen from the heart well what does that mean to be curious to be human to pay attention to like when you heard that what did you feel to be compassionate and empathic that this other human being is hurt Mm -hmm. so do you want your ego to get in the way and like explain it away? Or do you want to just say, Hey, Ramon, I'm sorry that what I said hurt you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at that and work on that because my relationship with you is important mm-hmm. and I'm going to go get some feedback from people that look like me. So I don't put the burden on you to teach me mm-hmm. now that can be a game changer, right? Now, uh, behind everything I just said, and this is in the book, are the four steps of the ally's journey. And I've kind of touched upon all of them already. The first is acknowledge my stuff, which is my bias, my privilege, my emotions, and the man box behaviors. Second is listen with empathy and compassion. Third is take responsibility for the impact. And when necessary, clean it up. And four is commit to new behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I just did all of those.
0: Yeah and I, I almost think like this should be a script that people prepare because it, it, you know men as well as women I think right sometimes with other minority groups um we may say something that then someone tells us you know that hurt me or that was I felt that was inappropriate to in advance realize when this happens yeah there may be sort of like fear or um insecurity come up or the shame and then we take on this protective explaining, justifying that behavior, like you said, but then in that moment, this self-awareness and the consciousness, they're like, no, I'm going to open my heart, coming from the place of heart, connecting with empathy and compassion and taking on the responsibility. Like you said, I loved the little script that you shared of how to respond to this on the receiving end. I imagine I was in the shoes. It felt so good. And I felt so connected with you in a moment. And I realized, oh my gosh, if you were my leader in the workplace or a colleague, I would feel so much trust grow right in that moment.
1: And would that want to make you work more, bring more of yourself forward and contribute more?
0: A hundred percent.
1: So guys pay attention to that. Yeah. And 100%. gals, that's what we're shooting for.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, cool. So what what are some of the other common behaviors that you see that you think are tricky or you see come up often? And now you mentioned a few in the book, men's mansplaining or is is a common one that we hear. What else do you see where men may consciously or unconsciously fall into toxic behavior?
1: You know, so there, there's a lot of that. One of them is monopolizing. And that's when, you know, a guy verbally overpowers a woman um, and doesn't leave much room for her to contribute. Imagine you're a woman and you're in the, in, a, in a meeting mostly dominated by men. And the airspace is dominated by men. Now, do you want to be one of those guys that's are, that's dominating the airspace? Or do you want to be the leader or ally that's looking around and you see a woman or a person of color or somebody that doesn't identify as you at the table and you're taking note of how much space. So you say, hey, hold on a second. Ramona, what do you have to say? Yeah. Because to expect you to act like a man... <laughs> Yeah. and just bust in there and, and, and interrupt, that's not yeah. realistic. Now, a lot of women have learned how to do that, and that's yeah. exhausting. Yeah.
0: It's and I can't tell you how often I hear this question uh, when it comes to executive presence or visibility in the workplace, in the remote workplace, whenever I hold trainings or workshops around these themes, the question always comes up, "And what do I do if I just never get a word in? Yes. I guarantee that question comes up every time I do a workshop around that or talk about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so monopolizing is one example. And so, and what I offered was this ability for guys to intervene, if you will. Now, before you intervene, you have to monitor yourself. Like ask yourself, am I dominating the airspace or am I allowing women to contribute? Right? So it's a both and if you're a leader, What are you doing to set the intention and create the space? But also, what are you doing for yourself? Now, the other thing, you know, what about sweet talking? This is more old school, and I don't know how often this happens. But I say to guys, imagine if your CEO um, says to you, nice job, babe. It's weird, right? Not surprising. Women don't like being called pet names at the office. So the rule is. If it's not her name, don't call her by it. And guys might like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. What? Th-? But I say, here's the message or the impact it sends. It says that you don't see them as an equal, but as an object. And what it does is it basically confirms the unconscious power differential. Mm-hmm. So the workaround is really friggin' simple. Use her name. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, There and then mansplaining, that's one that a lot of people know about. And that's where guys feel like th- they need to explain something to a, a woman without her request. And when I say to guys, there's something in your brain that says, I need to make this point clear. Now, what's behind that is you think that what's obvious to you as a man isn't obvious to women. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> not what we're looking for. So ask yourself. Why do I feel the need to explain this when I haven't been asked to? Mm-hmm. That usually will stop. Now, if you see other guys mansplain, you know, just check in and say, did you need an explanation for this? You have to kind of step out there. Now, I know we have limited time today, but those are some of the examples that I trust you were looking for. Does that help? Yeah,
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think there's something around just being conscious of this and being trying to be an ally, watching for the behavior that that you can see on when they're on Zoom meetings or then back in the workplace in in actual offices, watching for women's body language, right? So women trying to lean in is like they might want to say something. You know, women checking out physically, maybe they don't feel like they have a space or, or they're being seen as equals. And I think men who tune into that, and have the awareness of some of these patterns it may help them to step in as a leader. And actually, so speaking of stepping in as a leader, can we talk a little bit about what you suggest for men uh, to do when they're observing some inappropriate behaviors or language that's being used that you would consider derogatory?
1: Yeah, so oh, some of this has to do with how they set the meeting up to begin with and to speak to what's important. And as a reminder, hey, guys, pay attention to your language, you know. And then when it comes to when things are happening live, there's, I call it calling in versus calling out. If you call out a guy around his behavior or language in front of a bunch of other people, initially, he's likely to shut down. Now, there's an exception to the rule where if a guy's being verbally dangerous or he's just he's out of line, and or a marginalized person is going to get hurt, you have to say, "John, stop," mm-hmm. right? That's absolutely necessary. But in the instance where if if you're attuned to this, or if a woman or anybody else comes up to you and says, "Hey, you know, so and so said that," it just didn't land on me. That's an opportunity for you as a leader to have a one-on-one with the guy and ask him, hey, are you open to some feedback about what happened in this meeting? And you know, I've got a responsibility to present something for you. He'll say yes and say, listen, remember when you said that? This is how it was experienced mm-hmm. by the other person. And when they experience it this way, this is what's likely to happen. -hmm. You you show the breakdown, Mm -hmm. and then you pose the question: "Is this how you want to be experienced?" Mm -hmm. Usually, they'll say no. Now, if they start to defend, like, "Time out!" Yeah, that's listening from the head. This is what's needed in this situation, and allow me to coach you to go have a cleanup conversation with this person. Yeah. So that's where ownership-driven accountability for leaders. You have to be able to do this yourself so that you can shepherd other people to do the same.
0: Yeah. But I see when you talk about this, you see it as a clear responsibility for, for leaders to do the work themselves, right? And then not just encourage, but also extend that responsibility to those that they work with and that have an impact, even with clients, right? Who have an impact on their, the members of their team. Do you agree? Yes,
1: yes I do.
0: In your book, do you invite people to reflect on this do I want to operate from an outdated and toxic playbook of what it means to be a man to the detriment of myself and others? And so I, just, as we went back to what you shared about the coaching conversation or coaching opportunity, when a man is a bystander, that question I think is so powerful. And I wanted to share this here for all of us to think about and reflect on this. So powerful.
1: Yeah. So thank you for that. Now, I posed a lot of those, I'm, I, I have a coaching practice as well. So there was deliberate intention behind posing those questions. Mm-hmm. Basically I'm attempting to corner them mm-hmm. with a very direct question for them to ruminate on, because if they don't do anything, what's going to happen is that's what they're going to perpetuate. So I, I hit him between the eyes saying, basically, it's just the kind of guy you want to be. Yeah. And there's a series of those questions. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get later to the book, when you come to the Better Man Pledge, those pledge statements are the positive opposites of those rhetorical questions that I've posed.
0: Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah.
1: So that they can claim for themselves, not only do I not want to be that kind of guy, I'm committed to this.
0: Yeah. And I define my identity as an ally, right? right? So it becomes a real identity. I love this conversation and I think there's so much more in your book and I highly recommend, especially for men to to pick it up and read it and and follow your work as well, which we'll link to in the show notes. As we're closing up this this conversation, is there a question that I should have asked that I didn't ask or something that you feel we didn't touch on that's relevant to new leaders and mid-level managers or leaders?
1: What I want to say is that for so long, the spotlight's been on the behaviors of the minority of men, the bad apples. And because of that, because of Time's Up, Me Too, Black Lives Matter movement, COVID, and the galvanization of women and BIPOC folk, the spotlight's on the majority of men. Mm-hmm. So the, re- the deep question that I would invite all of them, regardless of title, whether you're an individual contributor, manager, director, VP, or the SVP or even the CEO, you know, is, is, do you want to be part of the solution or do you want to remain part of the problem? Mm -hmm. And if, and you, you can choose any one of a number of reasons why this is important and why you put yourself on the journey to allyship. One could be your wife. If you're, if you're heterosexual, it could be your sister your mother, your daughter, a female colleague, or it could just be because it's morally important to you. That's the personal case. There's the business case. But what you don't want to do is choose the dinosaur case, which is to do nothing. Because if you stay in the back with your hands folded, you're going to go the way the dinosaur. You're going to become extinct. So, and I write about that in my book too. So it's an invitation to self-reflect and to get on the journey. Yeah. And that what this at a baseline requires is heart. It's time for us to be human, you know, and and that's that's what I have to say.
0: Yeah, the, the we're definitely not turning that shit back around. So <laughs> women will increasingly become, you know, relevant, important, and take on more leadership roles and be more present in the workplace. And as a man, to keep it up just with, with that terminology right now, for men to em- embrace it and, like you said, not become extinct, through their intentional or unintentional behaviors and those beliefs or patterns, those unwritten rules that will absolutely not serve them in leadership roles.
1: We're being called forward. It's time for us to answer.
0: Yeah. And as a leader particularly, and you touched on this in the book as well, is the the fact that it comes with an increased responsibility because so many more eyes are on you and whatever you do and whatever you say has a huge ripple effect on everyone else in the organization and your team
1: ultimately. kind of like being a parent. Yeah. You know, the 24 seven cameras on you, what's <laughs> it doing, what you're saying, what you're not doing, what you're not saying. So oh, you might as well turn the camera on the inside and get interested in what's driving your behavior and seek to become more aware and more connected to your heart. That's yeah. What people want anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Ray, thanks so much for sharing your insights and jumping on this podcast uh, with me today, this conversation. I embrace your work, I support your work, and I think you wrote an amazing book. So thank you for sharing your wisdom here on this podcast as well.
1: It's my pleasure.